John chapter 15, we're studying today, verses 26 through 27. John chapter 15, verses 26 through 27. We're continuing this study of the farewell discourse. Jesus is instructing his disciples on the night before he will be crucified. Night in which he will then be raised, he will ascend, and then he will send out his disciples to testify to the world. We're going to start in verse 18. This is just coming in the context and what Jesus has just said. Verses 26 and verse 27 just flow right after this. Uh, It has the same thought, the same mindset. And so I want to start in verse 18 and then read through verse 27. Join with me. John chapter 15, verse 18. Our Lord says, If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have sinned. But now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would not have sinned. But now they have both seen and hated me and my father as well. That they have done this to fulfill the word that is written in their law, they hated me without a cause. When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. And you will testify also, because you have been with me from the beginning. Let's pray. Father, you are holy, and there is no one like you. God, you are holy, there is no God but you. You only are God, there is no other. You are God, there is no one else. Lord, you created the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. You declared the end from the beginning. Lord, you are set apart. Lord, you fashioned man in your image, and you created us for your glory to worship the Holy One, to be holy as you are holy. But Lord, we confess that we have sinned and we have broken your law and we are not holy. But Lord, we thank you for grace, for grace unmeasured, for grace unending that you would send your Son to die in our place, to be raised again on the third day, to ascend into heaven, to send to us a Holy Spirit. Father, we are now called to go out as your witnesses into this world. And Lord, the text before us is, in all honesty, an easy one to understand, but a a hard one to go out and obey. Lord, we need your Holy Spirit. And so I pray just even now, your Holy Spirit would come and testify through his word. 
that as the words go forth, that God, you would pierce in each and every one of our hearts for those who don't know Christ to be saved, for those that do know you to be strengthened, to go out and bear witness of you into this world. Well, we ask for your help now so that you would be glorified. Amen. The title of our message today is The Believer's Relationship to the World. The Believer's Relationship to the World. As you've seen, the common thread running throughout John chapter 15 is, is one of relationships. In John chapters 13 and 14, Jesus expressed to his disciples his relationship to them. We saw in chapter 13 that he was going to be the one that cleansed them. He washed their feet. He showed this beautiful, incomparable love and humility by lowering himself to serve his disciples, picturing, foreshadowing what he was going to do on the cross and cleansing them from their sins. In chapter 14, we saw that Jesus expressed his relationship through comfort, that we saw statement after statement after statement of our Lord comforting his disciples in the time of their sorrow, in the time of their fear, in time of their greatest turmoil. As we get to chapter 15, Jesus flips the script a little bit. Instead of talking about his relationship and how he expresses that to the disciples, he now focuses on the disciples. He says, how are you now to relate to me? How are you to relate to other believers? How are you to relate to the world? And so we saw in John chapter 15 and verses 1 through 11 that believers are to express their relationship through abiding. They are to abide in Jesus Christ as a vine and a branch abide. As a, as a branch abides in its vine, so too are we to abide in Christ. And we saw that that demonstrated itself in utter dependence, that we are helpless without Christ. We can do nothing apart from him. And so we utterly depend upon him for life and for godliness. We also see that abiding is to keep his commandments, to actively pursue loving him through obeying him. And so there in the first 11 verses of chapter 15, we saw our relationship with Christ, but then Jesus points our direction to what our relationship with other believers are to look like. How is that to be expressed? Well, he says in those few verses, he says it's summed up in this, you are to love one another to sacrificially lay down your life, to give up of yourself, to love and to serve those around you. That's how we relate to each other. And when we do this, we show ourselves to be friends of Christ. Well, if we are friends of Christ, what is the necessary consequence of that? As he goes on in verses 18 through 25, he shows another relationship, and that is the world's relationship to us. That if we are loving Christ, if we are obeying Christ, if we are Christ's friend, if we are loving his people, what does that generate in the world's heart? Hatred. The world will hate you, Jesus says. You see, you are not on the world's team anymore. right? You, you have defected. Christ has bought you. Christ has redeemed you. You are on his team and so now you are going into the enemy territory. You are now in the opponent's arena. And now the world hates you. The world heckles you. The world will do anything that it can because of its satanic influence to destroy you. 
Well, as we get to verses 26 and 27 of John chapter 15, with this perspective, the question now becomes, if the world will hate you, Christian, how are you to respond? How are you to relate back to the world? What is your relationship with the world look like? Well, the scripture shows us how not to relate to the world. James chapter 4, verse 4 says this, you adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Believer, you cannot be a friend of Christ and be a friend of the world. The two do not equate. You cannot follow in the world's system. In John, excuse me, 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, Scripture puts it like this, Do not love the world, nor love the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So not only are we not to be friends with the world, we're not even to love the world. We're not even to love the things in the world. Because if our love is for the world, we have no room for the love of the Father. And so Jesus says, so Scripture says, we do not relate by being friends. We do not relate by loving the world. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2 says, You formerly walked according to the prince of the power of the air. You formerly walked according to the course of this world. And so Ephesians chapter 4 says, Don't walk like the world. Don't live like the world. Don't be like the world. So then that's how we are not to relate to the world. That's how relationship doesn't look like. But, but what does it actually look like? Scripture gives us different views of what that relationship looks like. Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 says, You are the light of the world. You are to be a blazing city set upon the hill. You are to be a burning torch in the darkness. You are to be a, a, a blinking billboard on a darkened road showing everyone the Lord Jesus Christ within the world. Galatians chapter 6, verse 14 explains our relationship to the world. You're crucified to the world. You're dead to the world. And now you are alive to God. 1 John chapter 5, verses 4 through 5 says how we are to relate to the world. That you are to overcome the world through faith. That through faith and perseverance and endurance, you overcome the world. Pastor Tom just showed us that. So those are some of the ways that Scripture expresses our new relationship to the world. But as we turn here to verses 26 and 27, Jesus, instructing his disciples on this final evening with them, provides another directive, uh, another instruction detailing how believers are to relate to the world. As the world tries to barrage us with its hateful darts, rather than remaining silent, rather than conforming to the world, rather than loving the world or becoming friends with the world or walking with the world, Jesus says, you, Christian, you are to relate to the world as God's agent of testimony. That is that you are to go into the world and you are to preach the gospel to everyone in the world. That God has so loved the world that he has sent his one and only son, the Lamb of God, to take away the sins of the world. Roots, your relationship to the world is that you are to be God's witness. 
You are to be God's witness. That's the theme of what we're looking at in these two verses. The question obviously becomes, well, how am I going to do that? How will I be able to go out and witness to the world? Because, Wes, I don't know about you, but sometimes I see somebody, it's a family member, it's a friend, it's that student in my classroom, and, man, I just I, I want to tell them about Jesus. I get tongue-tied. It's like my, all of a sudden this, this crazy thing happens where it's like glue gets poured on my, my tongue and it gets stuck to the roof, the roof of my mouth and my lips. They, they just get closed shut and, I, and I, I just can't get it out. It's like the, the, the fear monster grabs a hold of my throat and just clamps it tight and I don't witness like I want to. How, how can I be faithful to witness to the world what Jesus says here in these two verses is to take heart. Take heart. The Father and the Son have sent to you the Holy Spirit. A Holy Spirit. He is your heavenly helper. He is your divine aid. But more than that, he's God's chief witness. He is the one going before us, testifying of the gospel of God. He is our pattern. He is our example. He is the one that we are to look to. But not only that, we see in verse 27 that also the apostles themselves, the disciples gathered together before our Lord Jesus Christ, set a pattern, an example for us. We can take heart by looking at their example, by looking at their testimony, that they have blazed the trail, and now we take up the torch and follow after them. So with that, then, I want to look at three groups of witnesses, three groups of witnesses here that show our relationship to the world. And the first witness, as I've already said, is the Holy Spirit. We see in verse 26 that the Holy Spirit will testify. The Holy Spirit will testify. Look at verse 26. He says, when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. The overarching theme or purpose of the Gospel of John is one of the clearest, if not the clearest, purpose, uh, purpose statements in, in all of Scripture. Uh, it's probably a verse that you're familiar with. In John chapter 20 and verse 31, um, the Apostle John says this, that the Gospel record was inspired by the Holy Spirit and penned by him so that you may believe. So that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. And it's interesting then, uh, if that's John's purpose, if that's his aim, it's interesting to note throughout the gospel record how John accomplishes his, his purpose. One of the primary means that theologians and commentators, they point to in the gospel of John is that John uses something called the trial motif. That is, John, through the inspiration of the Spirit, has so shaped his gospel, he's so packed his narrative that it reads almost like a, a courtroom hearing in which witnesses are brought to the stand to, to testify over and over and over against the unbelieving world in favor of Jesus Christ. Thirty-five times, in fact, in this gospel record, John utilizes the word testify or testimony or witness. And this word simply means to, to confirm or attest to something on the basis of personal knowledge or belief, to bear witness or 
to be a witness. It's a word that we know and we're quite familiar with in our own day as we see that just as witnesses are, are brought in courtroom hearings, so too then is the Gospel of John called to the witness stand several expert eyewitnesses all testifying to the world about who Jesus is. That this Jesus of Nazareth, this carpenter's son, the one born of the Virgin Mary, that this one truly is the promised Messiah, that he is the Son of God. See that at the very beginning of the Gospel of John, in John chapter 1, verse 7, the first witness that comes forward is John the Baptist. There we see that John the Baptist came as a witness, John chapter 1, verse 7, to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. John makes it clear, I am not the light, but rather I am bearing witness about the light. And so John testifies. The second witness on the stand is Jesus himself. In John chapter 5, verse 31, our Lord says, If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. Jesus there is clearly implying that he is testifying. He is witnessing about himself, who he is, and what he came to do. He says so in John chapter 8, verse 31. He says, I am he who testifies about myself. And not only do we have John the Baptist, not only do we have Jesus, but the third witness that's called to the stand is the works of Jesus. In John chapter 5, verse 36, our Lord says this, But the testimony which I have is greater than the testimony of John. For the works which the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I do, they testify about me that the Father has sent me. So Jesus is saying the signs, the miracles, the works, uh, breaking of the bread for 5,000 and changing water into wine and so on and so forth, laser, uh, raising Lazarus from the dead. All of this are to be authoritative witnesses to testify to unbelievers that he indeed is the Messiah. A fourth witness that comes to the sand that John presents in John chapter 5, verse 37, is the Father. There it says, And the Father who sent me, he has testified of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form. Pastor Tom walked through that on Sunday where he showed us that the Father testified of the Son at his baptism. You are my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And yet once more there, we see a fifth witness at the end of John chapter 5, verse 39. He says, you search the scriptures. And the scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures, were pointing to Christ as the true Messiah. He says, you search the scriptures because you think in them you have life, but it's these that testify about me. And so just in the first five chapters, then we get not one, not two, not three, but five. Five eyewitnesses to the person and the work of Jesus Christ. All declaring with one unified voice to the Jews and to the world that Jesus is the promised one sent by the Father. But now, Jesus says, on top of these five witnesses, there is going to come even more witnesses. In fact, as I go away and depart, it's going to be as if I'm going to enact an avalanche of further witnesses that are going to come forward and all testify about me. And the first one we see here is the Holy Spirit, that he is the first of these additional witnesses. In fact, he serves as the chief witness. 
Observe with me first the timing of his testimony. The timing of his testimony in verse 26. He says, when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. When the helper comes, what happens? He will testify. The contemporaneous acts, these are interrelated, that when the helper comes, when the Holy Spirit comes, what's going to happen? He's going to testify. He's going to testify when? Well, when he comes. In fact, the Spirit's coming was so crucial for the church's witness that Jesus states in Luke chapter 24, verse 49, he says this, And behold, I am sending forth the promise of my Father upon you, but you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Jesus saying, hey guys, don't go anywhere, right? Don't leave the city. Don't start your ministry yet. Why? You need the Holy Spirit. You need him for faithful proclamation. You need his power if you're going to stand against the world and proclaim Christ, right? You need his power, his strength, his wisdom, not your power, not your strength, not your wisdom, not your flesh. If you want to bear fruit, and you need him. And so we see the Holy Spirit come then in the book of Acts. As the book of Acts unfolds, what really is not the Acts of the Apostle, but the Acts of the Holy Spirit impacting the Apostles with the gospel. And so we see there that the Holy Spirit came. Right? He came and he filled the body of Christ in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. As the new covenant was inaugurated, as it was initiated, the Holy Spirit came and he commenced with his ministry. And what happens? Well, he immediately begins to testify. He be, immediately begins to proclamate his authoritative witness to the world. We remember there the apostles were filled with the Holy Spirit. They begin speaking in tongues. And what has happened? The world all of a sudden is like, what is going on here? What are these guys doing? Are they drunk? Are they out of their mind? What does the apostle Peter say? How does he respond? He says, hey, don't, don't be foolish. Don't speculate about these guys and what's going on with them. Understand this. The first thing he says is, he quotes Joel chapter 2, this is the power and the work of the Holy Spirit. This is what was promised, that the Holy Spirit was going to be poured out upon the world and there was going to be a testing signs and works and miracles. In other words, the Holy Spirit is testifying to you right now. So Peter shows that immediately as the Spirit was poured out, he began to testify to tell the world that this man you nailed to the cross and that you slaughtered rose from the grave and sits at the Father's right hand and is now Lord of the universe. So then when the Holy Spirit came, he testified through the world, through the miraculous acts and through the preaching of the gospel. As the apostles went out, as they went forward, the Holy Spirit was testifying through their message. Well, he didn't just testify back then and now stopped and is silent. No, right? He continues to testify today. How, how does he continue to testify? Well, he continues to bear witness to the world through his church, just like he did through the church there in the pages of the New Testament. He continues to use you and I, his church, to be his vessel, his instrument for Testimony, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. The Holy Spirit is witnessing in and through his church. 
He also bears witness to the world through the message of the gospel that as the church goes out, as they preach the gospel, the Holy Spirit is testifying through the words, through the message that is preached. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 4. There, Apostle Paul says, For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1, Paul says, When he preached, what happened? He says, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God? No. Verse 4, my message, my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and power. The Holy Spirit testifies through the proclaimed word. He continues to bear witness today to the world through the inspired scripture. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, he says, For this reason, we also constantly thank God that when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, before what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. That this is the Holy Spirit's testimony, his inspired word. This is how he continues to bear witness to the world today. So having seen the timing of his testimony, look at the agent of this testimony who is it that is bearing witness to the world? We see in verse 26 that it's the helper. It is the helper. We've already seen and shown this in chapter 14 that this is speaking of one who comes to one side, one who, who comes along to give aid, to mediate, to intercede on one's behalf. And in John chapter 14, uh, the focus of the Spirit's ministry as helper was to comfort, that he was going to eternally dwell within God's people with showing and comforting them through his eternal presence. John chapter 14, verse 26, we also see that the Holy Spirit's ministry, his role is to be teacher, that he was going to teach the disciples all things. He was going to bring to their remembrance all things. And as we come here to the context in chapter 15 and really going forward in John chapter 16, we see now that Jesus focuses, he concentrates on the role of the Spirit as a witness. He will dwell in believers and through them bear his own authoritative witness to the world. And at the same time, aid believers, help believers, strengthen believers so that they now will testify along with him. But not only is he the helper, we also see in verse 26 that he is the Spirit of truth. He is the spirit of truth, and the reason why Jesus, again, gives us this phrase, the spirit of truth, because he wants to clarify who it is he's talking about. And this is not a new helper. This is not a, another helper in addition to the one he was talking about in chapter 14. No, this is the same helper. This is the same spirit of truth that he has already promised that will be with them and that will teach them. He is the spirit of truth, right? He is the one who embodies truth, the one who reveals truth, that the spirit can be trusted 100% in his testimony because he is the truth and whatever he speaks then is true. In this way, the Holy Spirit, as Pastor Tom put it on Sunday, which by the way, that was a great time to preach this message on Wednesday, right after Pastor Tom preached almost the same thing on Sunday, right? 
is this. Pastor Tom put it like this, quote, the Holy Spirit as the spirit of truth is uniquely qualified to bear witness about Jesus. So he is the helper. He is the spirit of truth. We also see that he is sent by the Son. He is sent by the Son, verse 26. When the helper comes, well, which helper are you talking about there, Jesus? Well, it's the one whom I will send to you from the Father. Once again, we see John's sending theology here throughout the Gospel of John. It is the one who is sent. We've seen so far that John the Baptist has been sent. We have seen that Jesus has been sent. And now we see that the Holy Spirit is the one who is sent. And just as the Son was sent by the Father to testify to the world, so also the Spirit is sent to testify to the world. That is, the, the Spirit is now to stand in Jesus' place, to, to be his representative, to continue the testifying work that the Son is now the Savior of the world. Yeah, and you could almost picture it as if you're on the track and it's a relay race. Jesus has run his leg. He is finishing. Now he is handing the baton off to the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is being sent out now to continue the testifying work. And by the way, this is not a contradiction on Jesus' part. Uh, earlier in chapter 14, he said the Father was to send the Spirit. Rather, we see here that the Father and the Son are completely united in their actions. That the one whom the Father sends is also the one whom the Son sends. The one whom the Son sends is also the one whom the Father sends. And so then, in context with John chapter 14, what we see then is that Jesus, as he departs, as he enters into the Father's presence, sits down at his right hand upon the throne, will then ask the Father. He will say, Father, send to my beloved disciples the Holy Spirit. What does the Father do? He will send the Spirit. He will send the Spirit in the name of the Son. And so then we see there that the Father and the Son both send the Spirit. Fourthly then, what we notice about this agent, this testifying one, this witness, is that he proceeds from the Father. He proceeds from the Father. The word proceeds simply means to go out. It means to go before. When set in conjunction with the previous statement, it just really parallels what Jesus has just said. That the Spirit goes out as one who is sent by Jesus. Well, the Spirit also goes out as one who proceeds from, as one who goes out from, as one who is sent from the Father, as one sent by Him. In John chapter 8, verse 42, Jesus makes a similar statement about Himself, that He also proceeds from the Father. Jesus said to them, If God were your Father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and have come from God, for I have not even come on my own initiative, but He sent me. Therefore, as one theological dictionary puts it, quote, just as Jesus was sent by God and therefore could be said to have come forth from him, so also the Spirit will be sent by the Father and therefore could be said to proceed from him. And so then in both cases, the emphasis is upon the united effort of the Father and of the Son to send the Spirit as their ambassador that the Spirit will go forward to testify to the world of God's redemptive grace. So that was the timing and the agent. Now we come to the content. 
the content of his testifying. When he comes, when he testifies to the world, what's he going to say? What is his message going to be about? Well, we see in verse 26, he will come and he will testify about me. You see, the Holy Spirit's witness is not fixated upon political activism. The Holy Spirit is not coming to try to make the world a better place or to tell people that they need to have their best life now. The Holy Spirit will not come and be a witness trying for societal injustices or oppression or to fix the world's hunger problem or whatever it may be. And when the Holy Spirit comes, he has one message. That message is about the Son. He is coming to testify about the Lord Jesus alone. He's going to testify about the the person of the Son. He is going to definitively show and declare that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of the living God. And again, we saw that on Sunday in 1 John 5, verses 6 through 8. The Spirit testifies to his person. But not only to his, his person, who he is, the Spirit also testifies to his work. That he is the one who is redeeming a people from every nation, every tongue, and every tribe. That he is declaring through the power and through the message of the gospel what Jesus Christ has done for guilty, vile sinners. And that is the, the content of his testimony. So what we've seen then is that the Holy Spirit is the first He is the supreme witness launched out by the Father and the Son into the world. But not just the Spirit. We come to a second group of witnesses now. That's the disciples. In verse 27, that the disciples will testify. The disciples will testify. In verse 27, he says, and you, and you will testify also, because you have been with me from the beginning. The you here is emphatic. Jesus is, in a sense, he's he's pointing to them. He's saying he's talking about the Holy Spirit coming to be a witness, but now he says you. You will also be my witnesses. The disciples, they don't get to worm out here. They don't get to say, oh, great, Holy Spirit's coming. He's going to do all the work. We're just going to sit along for the ride. It's going to be great. Now Jesus is saying, no, you, you will testify also about me. So ponder for me, with me here, the expectation of their testimony. Again, Jesus doesn't say might. He doesn't not say probably. He not, does not say maybe. He says you will testify also. He is setting the expectation here that the disciples gathered before him, that they will go out, that they will be his witnesses to the world. In fact, it's really hard to know here, uh, to, under, to receive, is this just a bare statement of fact? Is Jesus just giving an assertion here? Or is this an imperative? It's really hard for interpreters to come to a conclusion. But either way, the, the meaning is the same, right? Jesus' anticipation of his followers is that they're going to testify about him to follow him, to be his friend, is to brag on his name. It's to tell all about their Savior. 
He goes on, he says that you will testify also. He's linking the, the testimony of the Spirit to that of the disciples, that just as the Holy Spirit will, will come and testify through the power of the gospel, through the message of the cross, so now the disciples also will testify through the power of the, of the, uh, of the cross. But even more than that, the Spirit's witness will, will actually, be, actually be accomplished through them. That as they herald the good news that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, the Spirit of God will fill their words with power so that when it, it meets hardened hearts, that it will break them just as a hammer breaks rocks into pieces. And so then we see this joint witness, that of the Spirit of God, that of the disciples, that as they go forth in the power of the Spirit is as if a chorus against the world is being summoning, is being lifted up, summoning sinners to turn from their iniquities and to place faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, the world's going to despise them, right? They will be disdained. They will be treated as the scum of the earth. The world might try to, to cancel them or denounce them as threats to civilization, but Jesus says, their relationship to the world is to be one of witness. How are they to relate to this antagonistic culture? They were to be witnesses of Messiah's suffering, his death, and resurrection. Luke chapter 24, Jesus puts it like this. In verses 46 to 48, he states, Thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day. And that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning from Jerusalem. And then he says this, you are witnesses of these things. They were to go out and they were to proclaim, they were to preach Christ's death, his burial, his resurrection, and now his ascension that he is coming again to judge the world in righteousness. Did they do that? Did these disciples, were they faithful to this commission? Did they go out and testify to the world? Just, just look around you, right? Look down at your Bible. Right? <laughs> of course, they went out and they were faithful. They were obedient. They witnessed to the world about the Messiah. John chapter 19, verse 35, John shows his faithfulness to this commission. He says, and he who has seen has testified. He's talking about himself, that he is one who has seen this. And now what is he doing? He is testifying. John says, and his testimony is true. And he knows that he is telling the truth. Why? So that you also may believe. He says the same thing in 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 2. He says, what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. And the life was manifested, listen to this, and we have seen and we testify and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. John says, we went out and we are proclaiming, we are testifying what we saw, what we heard, what we beheld, what we touched. He testified. The Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 20, verse 24, he says, but I do not consider my life as of any account as dear to myself. Why? So that I may finish my course in the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly 
of the gospel of the grace of God. Listen, the, the disciples, they, they didn't just go out and witness. Right? This, was, this was with their life. This was with the, the beat of their heart was to proclaim Christ. To tell the world about their Savior. I mean, Paul was stoned, left for dead outside the city. And what did he do? He got up and he went back and he testified. He proclaimed Christ. That should be our heart too. That should be our desire too, to go out and to testify to the gospel of the grace of our glorious God and our glorious Savior. This is the expectation that Jesus has of his disciples. Notice the basis of their testimony. The basis of their testimony in verse 27, he says, Why will they testify? The beginning here just refers to the start of Jesus' ministry, at the, which was initiated as baptism. And Jesus says these men who stood before him were uniquely qualified to, to testify about him because they saw him, they heard him, they personally witnessed everything Jesus taught and did. Or they, they saw his healings. They listened to his sermons. They watched on as he suffered. They beheld him raised from the grave. They were present there as he ascended into heaven. From the beginning to the end, they were there. They saw it all. They experienced it all. Therefore, they could serve as a, an authoritative expert eyewitness among the world. Peter recognizes this need in Acts chapter 1, verses 22 through 23. There he says this, quote, Therefore, it is necessary, talking about replacing an apostle, he says, it's necessary that of the men who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning with the baptism of John until the day that he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. I mean, just think of it like this, right? If, the, if some men were to go out and start proclaiming Christ, the first eyewitness, uh, as the first witnesses to Christ in foreign pagan lands, they're saying, there's this man, Jesus, raised from the grave, believe in him. And they're like, oh, okay, did you see that? Were you there? How do you know? Oh, well, you know, uh, this guy told me, and he got it from him, and then he got it from him. They're like, whatever, guys, I'm not listening to your testimony. I'm not listening to your witness. No, these guys, these initial disciples had to be eyewitnesses from the beginning, it, uniquely qualified them that their testimony would be reliable. And so by way of implication, right, that's, insurance, that's assurance for us, right? Uh, we have personal eyewitness testimony of the resurrected Lord. Luke writes it like this in his gospel account in Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. He says he did extensive research. He compiled an account of the things accomplished among us, and then he wrote of the exact truth as it had been, quote, handed down to us by those who were from the beginning eyewitnesses and servants of the word. These guys were eyewitnesses of the resurrected Lord. 
So we've seen that the Holy Spirit will testify. We've seen that the disciples, these uniquely qualified men who are eyewitnesses around our Lord Jesus Christ, that they will testify. There's a third category here. You must testify. You, believer, must testify. Jesus' instructions were specifically given to those men right there before him. But the application of his instruction to them is timeless. It's universal. That if you have been born again, you are called by our Lord to go out and to be his witness in this perishing world. I'm afraid as one author stated it, the church today in America has quote, carved out a permanent niche in this godless culture. She has grown very comfortable, and our longing to reach the world has gone quite cold. Is that you? Let's just be honest tonight. Just some examination here. What is your zeal for the Lord? What does your love for Christ look like? How do you express your love for others? Is it by witnessing for Christ? Is it by declaring Christ, sharing the gospel with those around you and your family and your friends and your neighborhood and your classrooms at the workplace? Is that your is that your passion? Is that your desire? Is that what you find yourself doing because you love Christ and want to make him known? When you walk out on that college campus, you see those faces streaming past you. Does your heart break thinking about their eternal destinies? You must testify, our Lord Jesus says. You must testify. What keeps you from testifying to the grace of God? Is it the fear of man? Proverbs 29, 25, the fear of man lays a snare. Are you caught like an animal in the snare of fear? Is it the love of man's approval? It's really the flip side, a two-headed coin. On one side, you have the fear of man. On the other side, you have the love of man. John chapter 12, verses 42 through 43, combine the two. He says, nevertheless, many, even of the rulers, believed in him. They had historical faith. They understood his claims. They, they saw that everything lined up. Yeah, but because of the Pharisees, they were not confessing him. Why? They were not testifying. Why? They were not witnessing about him. Why? For fear that they would be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the approval of men rather than than the approval of God. What else keeps you from witnessing? Is it because you lack confidence? You lack confidence in your knowledge of the scriptures. You're like, oh man, I just can't go out and talk to people about Jesus. What if they, what if they ask me that one question? I'm not gonna know how to respond. It's gonna be so embarrassing. I just, I'll stay quiet. If you wanna be faithful in your walk with Christ, we gotta identify 
those areas of sin, whatever it might be that's keeping you, those obstacles that are keeping you from being a faithful witness. And then once you have identified those areas of sin, then create a plan of attack, right? If it's the fear of man, then replace the fear of man with the fear of God. If it's the love of men's approval, then we have to replace the love of, of man's glory for the love of God and the glory of God and love for others. If it's a lack of confidence in the knowledge of the scripture, then study God's word, memorize God's word, memorize outlines about the gospel. But ultimately, understanding that you have the Holy Spirit coursing through your spiritual veins, right? That he will be with you to bear witness in that moment. So first, what is keeping you from testifying to the gospel of God? Identifying that, making a plan of attack to put off that sin, put on righteousness. Next, what motivates you? What motivates you to go out and be Christ's witness? Yeah, sure, certainly it's duty. It's because Christ commanded us. I mean, that's part of it, right? We want to be obedient to him. If we love him, we will keep his commandments. So if we love him, we will go and tell others about him. And yeah, it's about love for others. Of course, I love people. And so I want to go and share the gospel with people. But Roots, it's more than that, right? It's more than that. It is because God, the Son of God, the Lamb, deserves the rewards for his suffering. And we go out and we proclaim the gospel because we want God to be glorified. We want Christ to be exalted. We want to see standing around the throne of heaven people from every nation, tongue, and tribe proclaiming that he is worthy. Worthy are you, our Lord and God, for you created all things. Worthy are you, O Lamb of God, for you were slain, but now you are risen. Worthy are you. We want people to say that. We want people to know that. We want people to proclaim that. And how are they going to do that? How are they going to call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? We have to go out we got to tell them about the Lord. We've got to live it out, and we got to tell them. How? How do we effectively witness? Well, it starts with the power of the indwelling Spirit. The Holy Spirit has to come, Jesus says. Well, guess what? In our day, he has come. He now dwells within you. You have his power coursing through your veins. Therefore, you now can go out knowing that God is with you. And if God is with you, who can be against you? So it starts with the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit, but it builds upon that through an abiding relationship with Jesus. Right? I don't know about you, but when I'm not loving Jesus, I'm not following Jesus, I'm not maintaining my relationship with Jesus, my love for others, my witness to others just starts becoming weak. And so we have to pray Pray fervently for ourselves that we would have a heart to love God and love others. We have to, to pray for others, pray for unbelievers, pray that they would come to know the gospel and to be saved. And then we dig, we dig into the word. We seek to understand what the gospel is. We seek to understand what the scripture is teaching. And then we go forward and we see that we proclaim, we proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Right, that, that God has come into the, to the world through his son. We testify that he is now the light of the world, revealing the world's spiritual darkness. That we proclaim he is the savior of the world, delivering men from sin. We say that he is the prophet, revealing the truth 
against the world's lies. We proclaim that he is the bread of life, giving, um, he is the bread of life, giving uh, life to a spiritually starving world. We say that he is the judge of the world, that all who do not receive his testimony will be permanently condemned. We proclaim his good news. And it culminates, it culminates in a gospel-driven lifestyle. Right, that this is your life. It, when we talk about witnessing and talking about testifying, we talk about evangelism, that it's not about a one-time deal. It's not about going out once a month at the mall. Yeah, I mean, that could be part of it, sure, but it's, it's your life. It's how you live your life, how you testify through your lifestyle and how you live before this unbelieving world. It's about every morning waking up and saying, Lord, Lord, I am praying that you would save sinners. It's about every day saying, Lord, just open my eyes. Lord, help me not to be blind today. Help me not to just go through my day today without even thinking one moment about you and your mission and my commission of trying to reach this world for the gospel. It's about every day saying, Lord, how can I reach my family? How can I reach those in my home? How can I reach those in my neighborhood? How can I reach my coworkers and those that I meet on the bus or on the plane or wherever it might be? It is a lifestyle, a gospel-driven lifestyle. So what are some tips then as I close this out here? If you find yourself struggling in this area, what are some tips to help you? Oh, I'd say find accountability. Uh, find an older, mature follower of Christ that is faithfully sharing the gospel with others and, and get with them and talk with them and, hey, say, and say, hey, please help me. You know, give me some guidance. Give me some teaching, some understanding. Let me go out with you. Let me, you know, watch you as you're talking with your, your kids and discipling your kids and sharing the gospel with your neighbors or whatever it might be. Finding accountability, getting with somebody older, getting together in your small group, holding each other accountable. Something else you could do is read encouraging books on evangelism. Read encouraging books on missionaries whose lives model what we see in the scripture I just got done reading the life of David Brainerd, and that was a man who convicted my soul. This guy loved lost sinners so much, and it was encouraging to me to want to go out and witness as he did. Listen, watch sermons, listen to podcasts um, of those who are actively involved in evangelism. There's some out there, some of them that come to my mind that have helped me personally in the past. I don't endorse everything about them, but you have Wretched Radio, you have Living Waters. These are ministries dedicated to evangelism. Obviously, within here in the local church, here with that countryside, here within Roots, to be engaged in VBS and sharing the gospel with kids at VBS or wherever it might be. On a summer trip, as you go here in a couple weeks, uh, wherever you are going, it's going to have a great time. There might be somebody at the lake who doesn't know Christ and engaging them with your friends here in and through the ministries of the local church. I would say don't just wing it. Develop a plan. Have some kind of uh, an action plan. Don't just go through the day saying, oh man, I just hope I witness to somebody today. No, develop a plan, pray, and then know that your flesh is going to hate it. Your flesh, Satan, will try whatever it can to keep your mouth shut and not proclaim Christ. And lastly, not least, go out and do it. 
right? You don't just talk about it. Oh, yeah, let's go tell people about Jesus. Go out and do it. Go out and do it. As I close, if you're not in Christ, most of my instruction today has been to those in Christ. Understand, if you're not in Christ, you are still dead in your trespasses and sins. We have been talking about the world. Understand, you are still of the world. And Ephesians chapter 2 says that you are following the course of this world. You are dead in your trespasses and sins, and you therefore are a child of wrath. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, has sent his son so that you might be saved. Today, repent, believe in the gospel, and then go forward and be Christ's witness to the ends of the earth. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the good news of the gospel that Christ has come to be the savior of men's souls, that he has saved us, Lord, those who have been born again. And Lord, not so that we could now just sit back and sit on our comfy chair and kick our feet up, Lord, but you've saved us to do good works, to go out and to bear much fruit. And Lord, one aspect of that is witness. Lord, I confess this is a hard message. It's a hard message for me. I know it's a hard message for many in here. And Lord, I pray for your Holy Spirit's help. Lord, we would be faithful witnesses of Christ. For any that are not in Christ, I pray that you would save them. To you be the glory. Amen.